0: This is AIM High, the alumni podcast of Cranbrook Kingswood, produced by University FM and co-hosted by Robert Lee and Kadir Mohammed. In this season, you'll hear from both alumni and faculty, people making an impact all around the world and linking it back to their time at Cranbrook, a special place and community that leaves us aiming high wherever we go. Thank you for tuning in and enjoy this episode. Hello, and welcome back to the Cranbrook podcast. Thank you for joining us in another season of Cranbrook Kingswood Aim High. My name is Kadir, and thank you so much for joining us today. Today, I have an amazing guest to join us today. Her name is Debbie. She is a teacher at Cranbrook Brookside. She teaches, is it second grade, Debbie? hmm And Debbie, uh, feel free to introduce yourself and tell us, you know, like how you kind of got introduced to Cranbrook and, you know, what grade you teach and why you teach that grade.
1: All right. Wow. Thank you for having me. First of all, dear, I feel honored to be part of the podcast. I arrived at Brookside in 1985. I was lucky enough to hear about a position that was opening in the kindergarten through another teacher who was there currently. She was teaching fifth grade. Her name is Ann Smith. And I had had her son in a kindergarten class. And she said, hey, there's a position open at Cranbrook at Brookside. And I said, I'm there. So I went through the interview process and was very... Very fortunate to be hired. I ended up teaching two years in the junior kindergarten, which is like the four-year-old program. Mm -hmm. Then they bumped me up to first grade. I was teaching first grade for about 15 years, and then the rest of the time, second grade. And I don't know if Kadir knows this, but I am newly retired from Cranbrook. This is my first year, yeah, my first Mm -hmm. year not teaching. I taught there 37 years. It was time, I'm getting older, even though I Mm -hmm. loved every single minute of it. It was time for me to begin the next chapter of my life, but I miss it. It's the best place in the whole world to teach, and um, I miss my friends, I miss the children, I miss the beautiful grounds, but -hmm. it was an incredible career. I feel really blessed to have been part of it.
0: Absolutely. For those that don't know, I actually did not attend Cranbrook Brookside. I came to Cranbrook in the sixth grade in the boys middle school. However, my brother, my younger brother, he did go to Brookside. He, I think he started there either in first or second grade. And I think you were his first, one of his first teachers, at least at Cranbrook. I was. He really spoke so fondly of you.
1: Yep. Ditto. It was a pleasure to have him in my class as well.
0: That's amazing. So you said you taught for 37 years. That's I a pretty did. good run. What would you say <laughs> some of the, like the highs and lows of your academic teaching career? Like what's some of the best parts about teaching at Cranbrook? And some of the things that you think could be approved upon, like what are some things that you think you really struggle with at teaching at Cranbrook?
1: Wow, that's such a good question. The highlights, I could take hours to talk about that. First and foremost, I think the people. I think they're incredible teachers, master teachers, no matter when they join. We have a very extensive selection process and interview process. And so I really was honored to teach with some of the most incredibly creative, passionate, committed to education and kids, teachers in the world. And I'm not just saying that, I really mean it. So that was foremost. Of course, the place itself is just extraordinary. You know, when do you get to go outside for a walk and you get the grounds, you know, over 300 acres of beautiful grounds, no matter what the season, there was always something to see and do. And I never took it for granted. You know, it sounds corny, but every day that I drove up, I thought, look where I get to teach. I mean, it's just the beauty of the place and the classrooms that I've been, was lucky enough to be part of were just beautiful, just cozy rooms, no two rooms alike, very, very different. My last classroom actually used to be the maintenance person's apartment. So there's like a little kitchen okay. area and mm-hmm. the area and Well, they took some walls down and unfortunately removed the bathroom, which would have been very helpful yeah. <laughs> if you know little children. <laughs> But mm-hmm. um, just a beautiful, beautiful spot. I could hear the bells from Christchurch clinging, and, and you could look outside, and it's just beautiful to see. So I think those were some of the best things. And, of course, they support you to go and do more workshops or go to professional development. They also pay for us to get our master's and to continue our education. And That's I don't fantastic. know any other school that does that. Mm-hmm. Really incredible. And I think that they really cherish the children. The most important thing to all the teachers were, who are these children and how can we best meet their needs? And I think with the small class sizes that we had, we really got to know those children well. When it was time to write report cards, I could just say a report card. I didn't have to look at a form. I really Mm -hmm. knew those children, and I think that made a huge difference, too. So that's just some of the greatest things about Cranbrook. You know, yeah. the hardest part for me, Kadir, was really the year of COVID and following year. I Absolutely. think it's, it was so difficult for these littles to be online. And, you know, they have a short enough attention span as it is in the classroom. And so imagine them at home with yeah. distractions, their pets, their parents, whatever, So that was really, it was a big challenge. I think we did the best we can. And I think we did a fairly good job. I really do. But it was difficult. And then going back the following year, we had very, very small classes. The specialist often took a class, homeroom, and we had to teach with our masks on. And it's Mm -hmm. pretty difficult to be an elementary school teacher with a mask covering your face because so much of teaching is your expressions and your smiles. And I have to say things like, I'm smiling at you under this mask. you know, So that was very, very challenging. Again, we did a good job. We really did. But I was luckily able with my last year to get it back to as normal as possible. I wanted to have that last year with my class. I will say, too, one of the other things that I love about Cranbrook Brookside is the yearly chapels, the plays that each grade level puts on. Because I've seen it myself where children that are very shy and not really confident start in first grade and by fifth grade, they're often one of the leads of the play. And it really carries over to their confidence in front of a group, you know, working collaboratively to put on the production, doing the music, Mm -hmm. the fine arts teachers, especially the music and drama teachers were just extraordinary that way. And I watched it with my own kids, and it was really another part of what you almost would call the hidden curriculum, the little Mm -hmm. sweet spots of things that it's not listed in the curriculum guide, but it goes on, and it's one of the magical things about the place.
0: That's amazing. I'm so glad that you had that positive experience teaching at Cranbrook. And even with the difficulties during COVID, Mm -hmm. it sounds like you did a fantastic job of being able to overcome and adapt to like teaching amongst covid I know during Mm -hmm. the COVID times, it sounds so hard to be able to teach because especially younger ones, they're all about social cues and they're still learning social cues and having to wear a mask inhibits that. So for you to be able to still teach past that and overcome that Mm -hmm. uh, challenge and that barrier is an an amazing thing. How else would you say that you like kind of overcame teaching amongst COVID? Because I can only imagine how difficult that could be. Like you said, you probably did a lot of Zoom calls for teaching during that time period.
1: We created a schedule, which was very complicated. You know, thanks to um, the assistant head of our school, Kai Robinson, she helped put together like who's going to do what at what time. And we created a classroom page and all their assignments for the day would be on that page. And that's something brand new. I mean, elementary children Mm -hmm. didn't do that. I think fifth graders, fourth graders might, but certainly not second grade. So creating that, learning how to put all their assignments online. And then we would meet with them twice a day for approximately 45 minutes, which is about their attention span online. And even within the the 45 minutes, every 15 minutes or so, I would change it up where you do something. And then we'd change it up a little bit and try something else. I had to use a lot of creativity, um, I used to, my guitar, I would play, uh, I'd read stories, I had puppets, so I had to pull a lot of tricks out of my bag to, yep. just to keep their attention, and they really wanted to be there because they missed each other, that was the hardest thing for them, and and they missed me, and I missed them, so to be able to actually see them was really great, you know, that year it was difficult because we didn't get to like, hug goodbye the last day of school, we didn't have a party, and There were a lot of things that we didn't get to do, but regardless, you know, those kids now are in fifth grade and they're doing well, but um, it was a huge challenge at the time for sure.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. And kudos to you for doing such an amazing job during that difficult time period. Mm -hmm. That actually brings me to my next question. When it comes to teaching, and I know it's different for every individual teacher, but Mm -hmm. I just want to know, hear more so from you, like, how are you able to cultivate that interest in learning for students? Because- it's one thing for a student to go to school and, you know, go mm-hmm. through the motions, but it's another thing for them to go to school to want to after you learn. And what mm-hmm. I've noticed, especially for like Brookside students, is that they're eager to learn. Like so many of them are just sponges. They just are ready for more information. And whatever you give them, they'll start to be able to synthesize and think. So how do you cultivate that learning and critical thinking environment for your students?
1: That's such a good question. The first and foremost, I really feel, Kadir, is you have to set up an environment where they feel loved. And they feel safe and that they matter. And so when you create that really from day one, minute one, is they walk in the room, you greet them individually, and you just make them welcome. And there are always students in the beginning that are a little more tentative and it might take them a little while. And that's okay. Besides the, you know, get establishing the environment, like cozy places to read and collaborative learning spaces. And we actually started something in the last few years at brookside where they could choose where they sat and so okay. every day you could come in and choose where you want to be and that made a huge difference unfortunately if you were a little bit late to school you were put where you know you wherever was left but it still mm-hmm. worked out and i had a variety of different tables tall tables tables where they could literally sit on the floor just to meet everybody's needs because everybody needs something different and it can be different day to day. So the environment was huge. And then I think that I, as a teacher, had to demonstrate my passion for whatever we were doing, my investment in it. I had to be interested in it, whatever it would be, and bring them into it as well. And the other piece for my classrooms always is the ability to know that they don't have to know everything right away. They're in second grade. It's okay to make mistakes, which was hard for them. Developmentally, second graders, we called it at the eraser age because we go through so many erasers because mm-hmm. they are so self-critical. And so a lot of my job was just to tell them, it's great. You know, you're doing great. Don't give up. You can do this. It's okay if you get something wrong. And they're very funny because if, heavens forbid, I made a mistake often on purpose, (laughs) they would call me on it. And I was like, Oh my gosh, you mean adults make mistakes. I'm so embarrassed. And just, and they knew what I meant, like, it's okay. Mm -hmm. And so I think when you let them know that this is a safe, loving place, I'm like the team captain, I'm captain Kadir. like, I'm going to do everything I can to make school a good place. And then they're open to it. And they're also young, like you said, so they don't have Any attitude yet is like in the middle schools, like, why do I need to learn this? You know, And also, if you know what their interests are, I had a student that was like obsessed with Egypt. And so I made sure that there are books on Egypt in the classroom. When you're able to do that, then it feels even better. Like, oh, I like this or, you know, I like this author or whatever. So those are just, I guess, a few of the things that I would do. And it seemed to
0: work. (laughs) Absolutely. Do you have like a favorite subject that you prefer to teach over the others?
1: I love literacy. I love, love, love teaching reading. I love teaching writing. Anything with literature, my favorite part of every day, and I did it every day, no matter what, was reading to the children because I think that's so important. Even though they're reading, it's important for them to have that downtime. I had big pillows in my classroom and they had all kind of flopped together. And we'd just share a good book and share, you know, what does the book mean and those kinds of things. And I'd introduce books that I loved from when I was a child, which they can't believe that I actually had books back then. <laughs> and then the other piece that was really, really unique is we would have guest readers. So parents or grandparents could sign up to come in at the end of the day and mm-hmm. read their favorite books or the child's favorite books. And so to be able to bring a little bit of home in was really magical. Couldn't do it after COVID, obviously, but yeah, had many years to do it, and that is really a wonderful thing. Because by my age at second grade, they don't—they're not really needed for party setup or you know that kind of thing. So parents yeah. miss coming in the classroom, and I think that's another plus of Cranbrook is we really welcome parents in. Parent volunteers are a huge part of what we do at school. That's a really important part as well.
0: Especially the having the parents and grandparents come to read a book to the student mm-hmm. class. I feel like I, I I would be very happy having my yeah. grandparents come to my class to read me a book. So I can only imagine how happy and not only for the children, but for the grandparents to be able oh, to, come yeah. to read to them. Like it must be like a right. fulfilling moment for them.
1: Yeah, we did have something too called Grandparents Day where there would be like a little musical performance put on for the grandparents and the yep. grandparents would come to school and they'd see the room and meet the teachers. And that was a really, really special. I mean, you walk into the gym full of hundreds of grandparents, you feel mm-hmm. the love in that room. Never, ever, ever did I walk in that room and not cry because you just yep. like, you're overwhelmed by it and everybody's waving and taking pictures. And I just thought that was one of the most beautiful things that we did at Brookside. Unfortunately, because of COVID, can't do it now. Mm. But I cherish those memories for sure.
0: Absolutely. I remember my grandmother actually going to parent visiting day for my brother. And oh, yeah. she was so happy to see my younger brother play like amongst this like student class body and like make friends. Mm-hmm. Like my grandma, like she was tickled. She had Aww. the best time. So it's really a huge moment for both like the grandparents, the parents, and it is the children, which is something that I really do love about Brookside as well. And credit yeah. in general. Yeah, for sure. So my next question is, what made you actually want to decide to teach second graders? Is there a reason why you stuck with second grade? or
1: You know, I don't really have a specific reason why. There's so much. I knew I wanted to change. You know, after a few years, it's good for teachers to change what they're doing and and change curriculum and learn something new. So I knew I wanted to change. And there just happened to be an opening. And so when I heard, I was like, ooh. Well, I would like to teach with those teachers and try a little bit older. And it was really wonderful because going from first to second, I ended up with a few of the children for two years in a row, which was okay. really an interesting thing. So I already knew yeah. them. I knew their strengths and weaknesses. So that was fun. I, you know, I had thought about teaching older children, just still in elementary school, but mm-hmm. there's just something about the little ones that I just adore.
0: What would you say? For any aspiring teachers, like the best advice for them, especially during this post-COVID era?
1: Mm-hmm. I think first and foremost, to realize that teaching is, it l- may look easy, <laughs> but it's <laughs> not. But it's the best job I think you could have. I mean, to be able to spend time with children, knowing that you're making a difference in their lives is huge. Whether it was you just listen to them, whether it was you help get a Band-Aid, whatever it is, you showed them like all of a sudden how to write a full sentence that makes sense. Just little Mm -hmm. things like that. That's really the most beautiful thing about being a teacher. There's so many rewards to it that are you just can't even imagine. But it is a huge commitment of your whole self. You know, it's not just a business and you go home. It is a really a big commitment and it's worth every second when you can make a connection to a child, make a connection to the family and they're letting them know that you care. It's the best job in the world. And I personally, I say work for (laughs) Cranbrook. It's a great place to work. (laughs) Any place that you can connect with the people there. And I think that's important. You have to go and see the place and get a sense if you feel like you can belong there. Can you fit in there? Or is it a mm-hmm. place that, mm, I don't know what this is for me. I mean, I had that experience interviewing at another school, which I will not say, but it was completely opposite Cranbrook in every way, shape or form. And back when I started <laughs> teaching back in the dark ages, Kadir, um, <laughs> I was big into pink flamingos and mm-hmm. I wore it to the interview to Cranbrook, these big pink flamingo earrings and matching necklace. And the mm-hmm. first thing the teacher said was, oh, we love your earrings. I thought, I can teach here. They're my like kind of my people. Place. I can exactly. be myself and be loved for who I am. And I don't have to look a certain way or I could be me. And that really carried through. And so I would say, look for a place where you feel connected. And it's mm-hmm. a place where you, like, you feel like you can be you. Because that's so much importance. And are the people warm? The people that you're meeting, because you have to go to a place where you feel like it's a family, an extended family. And I honestly feel that way about Cranbrook. They're my family. It was hard. I just went back last week to see the second grade play, and I, mm-hmm. I hadn't been in the building since June, and it was emotional. You know, everybody was so happy to see me, and I was so happy to see them. And I went into one of my friends' classrooms, Ellen Woodfin, and I just burst out crying. And I was like, why am I crying? Well, because I miss this place. This was my home. So it was very emotional. I get choked up. No shock. Mm-hmm. I'm a crier. I'm a very <laughs> emotional person. So, but it was yep. so extraordinary that after all those months away, I automatically felt warmth and loved and. Oh yeah, this is my place. It was weird not going into my last classroom though, I have to admit. The door was mm-hmm. shut and I was dying to see what she did to it, the new teacher, exactly. but I'm like that's her space. I have to honor that, and be respectful. But it was great. It was really, really fun. Well,
0: that's a fantastic response. I really I'm really glad that you had such a positive experience at Cranbrook, especially for you yeah. to come back and then say like, "Oh my god, I really miss this place. Like, this is my mm-hmm. home." Especially mm-hmm. for we you to think of school as another home. That's amazing. Right.
1: And I think the kids really feel that too, Kadir. Like, mm-hmm. I'd always say, when by accident they'd call me mommy, and I'd really? say, yep. don't apologize because that is the biggest compliment you can give me. Exactly. You know? yeah. And they'd be embarrassed. I'm like, no, because that shows we're connected <laughs> and you feel like- loved and safe.
0: Exactly, and That's good. And
1: I'd be like, it's okay, honey. And they'd giggle and I'd giggle. And I had that so many times. So, so many times.
0: And that's amazing for the students, even their children, for them to have that connection with you, like that safe space mm-hmm. in your classroom. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. You know, I think back on my own elementary school and I don't really remember much about many of the teachers. I remember one because she mm-hmm. did a lot of readers theater and I thought that was yep. so much fun. And she just made such an impact on my life like that. And I ended up, I love theater and I was in community theater and it's all a part. I always do reader theater. I'm in my classroom. So teachers can have a really lasting, lasting effect. I have to say too, that one of the most important things about being a teacher is also being aware of what you say and how mm-hmm. you say it.
0: I think that's also very important because children, they're so young and impressionable and Mm -hmm. they spend the majority of their day at school and the Mm -hmm. only other place they spend that much time is at home. So like those are the two most time consuming areas of their life. So if they're going to school, it needs to be a safe place. And I'm so glad that you are able to cultivate that in your classroom. Thank you. Thank you. Of course. Well, this is wrapping up. This is coming to the end of the podcast. If there's one thing that you could say was the most satisfying and fulfilling moment as a teacher? Like a moment that you can identify that you hope all teachers can also share. What would be that moment for you?
1: Oh my goodness, dear, that's so hard. I think honestly, one of the many, many times I can remember just when I've had a very difficult child, child with a lot of emotional needs, a lot of academic needs, and every day was a battle for him, even just to get out of the car, because he knew school was going to be very hard. Mm-hmm. And it was a battle. Sometimes getting him to stay in the classroom was a battle. And as the year went on, he felt safe and he felt he knew that I was there to help. And I just sort of figured him out how the previous year he would misbehave because then the teacher would kick him out of the classroom and then he wouldn't have to do the work. And so really early on, I said, listen, I know last year when you were in Mrs. So-and-so's class, you did this. And he looked at me like, how in the world do you know? Yeah. And I said, I got you, buddy. And I know you don't have to do that here. I don't believe in kicking some child out. I think that's humiliating. No matter what the situation is, you can separate children, but to kick them Mm -hmm. out, no. So he and I just had this moment. We looked at each other and he smiled and then school was an okay place for him. And knowing that I had that moment with him was one of the best moments of my career. He ended up leaving Cranbrook after second grade, which was the Mm -hmm. right thing for him because he needed a school with different services that we just didn't provide and I know yeah. he's thriving, thriving, thriving. And that just warms my heart to know that I had a teeny little piece of that. Mm-hmm. It makes it all worthwhile. It really does.
0: Yeah. It sounds like as a teacher, you're really aiming high and just providing that best care and the best, like you get able to understand that what the child needed wasn't at that school essentially. And it was, and it was
1: hard. It's a hard message to give parents too, right? You know, cause mm-hmm. you want your child to have that dream. But often children that leave Cranberry can come back at another time, whether it's middle school or upper school, you know, sometimes they just need that time in elementary school to have a little more support and then they can often come back. So he might be back. We don't know. I hope so.
0: Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to speak to me about this. I really do appreciate it. And I appreciate all teachers because teaching is one of the most important things that we can do (laughs) as a society because it's really just cultivating the next generation. You have done an amazing job at that. So thank you so much for doing that.
1: Oh, pleasure. Thank you so much for contacting me. I really feel honored to have been part of this, Kadir.
0: This has been Aim High, Crammer Kingswood's alumni podcast. If you like this episode, we'd really appreciate if you could take a few seconds to subscribe wherever you listen and leave us a five-star review. This helps a lot in getting the word out and making the podcast easier to find.